coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can. Another edition of Lunatic Fringe into the void. It's a live one this time, kind of with a summertime recap with uh, one of our uh, uh, regulars here on the podcast, but uh, I'll still say it. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? I don't know who I am. (laughs) It wasn't that good a summer. (laughs) No, it wasn't. Actually, it was a really good summer. Uh, My name is Junior David Mm. Ludwig. And uh, yeah, back with you again. How's everything going? Nice. Uh, it's not not uh, too bad. Summer's uh, winding down a little bit. Things are starting to cool off some, and and people are uh, um, taking a little bit more time to let it all soak in. You had a pretty fucking busy summer. I did have a busy summer, and actually, this is uh, works out pretty nice because we actually haven't seen each other in probably about six or seven weeks now. Yeah. No, you've been jet setting all over the place and fucking being all uh, a badass for a skydiver. I mean, who's is your wife financing everything? No, is that it? Is no. it like a? Is did you marry into money or something? No, I mean I, I, you know, I was thinking about maybe you know, putting her out on the street, making a little bit of extra so we can make this easier on ourselves. But <laughs> oh, you, you get yourself in trouble with I these my, podcasts. I get man. myself in trouble all the time. No, I'm just kidding, honey. I love you. So, so, don't so <laughs> the reason I ask if you married into money is without giving any other explanation. Name the countries that you've been to in the last fucking well this summer. This summer. Well, let's see. Uh, Morocco, Spain, Italy, Ukraine, Chernobyl. That's even though it's not a country. It's, yeah. Okay. It yeah. Might as, it might as well. A... It might as well be a country of its own. <laughs> I'm about to give you a fucking geography lesson, American. Been to the uh, to the UAE, of course, and uh, yeah, that's about it this summer. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. All right. This, this was this was a slow summer. Yeah. 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 All right. So. Um, let's 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 break down the travels here you did some for work and some for play yeah a little bit of work a little bit of play and try to uh fit one for one what, uh, what was it a little bit easier especially with uh with nicole coming along with me um all work and no play makes uh both sure. the wife and myself both a little bit unhappy we you know we like to sure to explore places so we started off in uh in morocco um, was and, that that was for work or strictly for play? That was strictly for play. That was um, 100% us uh, enjoying our one-year re- wedding anniversary. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we uh, we started in Morocco, and um, a couple weeks before that, we were in uh, Mauritius. I forgot about Mauritius. So, we spoiled, did Mauritius. Spoiled fucking... Yeah. Anyway, went, all went right. Went to so... work for a week, and then... Uh, Went to uh, to Morocco to to start everything out before going to do some work for the uh, Kuwaiti military over in Spain at a period in Brava. Nice. So what I mean was, let's get to some exciting shit because you're boring me right now. Well, how about the fact that uh, I thought I was close to death on part of my trip? That's right. You caught the hiv, didn't you? It was something. But they fixed it. Yeah, they weren't sure what it was. Jesus, dude, stay away from <clears throat> those guys. Yeah, I know. I mean... <sighs> <laughs> That's just for Zedge. Zedge wanted me to give you shit. Zedge always wants me to give you shit. So. Oh, yeah. Zedge is the homo. It's okay. So you went to, uh, um, wait, you say that like it's a bad thing. It's not. Yeah. It's not. Come on. Let's be culturally sensitive here. That's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. I, Cultural no, sensitivity. And zero fucks given, right? Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> okay, so you go to you go to Morocco and you almost die. So yeah, apparently when I was in uh, Mauritius... Um, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, part of my, my hobby is I like to explore places. I like to go on nice hikes. I like to see what someplace has to offer. And uh, when I was in Mauritius, um, Nicole and I went up for a hike uh, to this peak that you're supposed to be able to see an underground, uh, underwater waterfall. Okay. So the waterfall looks like, it, if you look at the water, it looks like there's actually a waterfall, but it's underwater. It's kind of, it's kind of an optical illusion. Okay. <clears throat> so we do this hike and... Of course, me not thinking. I'm in shorts, and I got bit by a couple of mosquitoes, probably, or maybe it was a tick. Nobody knows. But um, come back, uh, work for a couple of days, and then uh, the last day of work before we were leaving on our official beginning of our summer vacation and on our on our wedding uh, anniversary, anniversary yep. trip, um, I started feeling like I had a little bit of a fever coming on. Mm. And I didn't think too much of it until uh, fast forward a couple of days, and um full fever in Morocco um, on what feels like 
the verge of death, um, rash halfway up uh, my leg, almost up to my to my crotch, everything swollen twice the size. You, you just motioned like your balls swelled up. My balls were twice the size that they were supposed to be. Yes, thanks for pointing wow. that so out. So they were, so they they became normal sized. Okay. Yeah, normal sized. <laughs> um, some might say that they, you know, were even bigger than they already are. But uh, okay. Yeah. So, so that plus uh, joint pain and swollen uh, my arms, uh, my my leg. I had no ankle. I had a cankle, and uh, hmm. wound up in the hospital. Um, them not knowing what was going on, they put me on super high dose antibiotics. Mm. Um, tried to do the best we could going through the rest of the trip. I was toughing it out like a like a champ, as as Nicole said. She's she was <laughs> proud of me for still doing the doing the distance and and exploring what we were exploring. But mm. uh, made it to Spain, which was supposed to be for work, and immediately stopped at a hospital. Um, oh, for anybody that doesn't know, don't go to a hospital in Morocco. Go to a clinic. They are two very different things. You mean Morocco's hospitals aren't known for their healthcare? Morocco's hospitals are kind of like a a nineteen eighties a sane asylum. Something that you would see on like an old movie of like a, an insane asylum back in the eighties. The eighties? You're 70s. like see, I get a mental image of Shutter Island. That... It's more like something that you might see out of Chernobyl, which we'll talk about later. Okay. All right. <laughs> So, so don't do that there. But you ended up in the hospital in Spain. I ended up in the hospital in Morocco, and then in Spain. Morocco's hospital was pretty bad. I I made a lifeline to a really good friend, um, who is Moroccan, and said, "Hey, I'm I'm in trouble. I need a I need a, I need your help." And he got me over to a clinic, where they were able to uh, do a blood test, diagnose me, and and get me on some some uh, really high dose antibiotics. Even though they didn't really know what it was, they Figured it might have been a tropical disease, mm. um, and wanted me to see a specialist, but they didn't have any in in the area. And I'm glad you didn't die of that because that's not a very like sexy way to die. No, I was for the first time in my life, I was truly scared. I think I would have been annoyed at you if you had died that way. I would have sucked, huh? Yeah, with all the cool shit that we get to do, and I died that way <laughs> from, from from a mosquito or a possible tick bite <laughs> yeah yeah no i don't think i would have been yeah i wouldn't have been happy with that but i took a it was a long recovery it was about a, a week or so um even all the way through the the trip that i was in spain i was i was still suffering from the were you jumping residual sick? um I, I made a couple jumps there trooper. for sure trooper but uh in the beginning i wouldn't have been able to so you were trained in military in in spain i'm i'm not trying to cut you off with yeah, the yeah. sickness it's just we know you're not dead yeah, I'm not dead. I'm alive. Yeah, there you go. It's good. So you caught the temporary HIV yep. and got better. Uh, so Kuwaiti military. What were you teaching them how to do? Um, they had a uh, they have a, they've got a demo team that they're putting together. Um, a team from different uh, branches of the military. Okay. That will come together periodically for demos and events. Um, cool. My former teammate and good friend of both of ours, uh, Patrick Kay, was working with them and doing some canopy training with them. Mm. Previously, and uh, in good good fashion, he couldn't make this one, so he kind of pushed it off to me. Cool. Asked if I had the availability for it, and I did. So uh, we're just kind of training the guys and trying to get them uh, able to do not necessarily stacks, but fly tight formations under canopy. Started teaching them all about how to fly flags and so and all canopy fly, stuff, all canopy stuff, and flags for demos, flying in formation and. How to fly a flag safely and land it safely and everything. So Very cool. And that was uh, Imperia Bravo. That was at Skydive Imperia Bravo. First time to that drop zone, believe it or not. It was pretty cool. What do you What do you think of it? Um, it's It's good. It's definitely, uh, from what I understand, it's definitely changed a little bit um, through management and stuff like that. But it still has a really cool feel. Changed Fact, as in it. Uh, what did it used to be a big party drop zone? It used to be a huge party drop zone, and now it's a little bit more work. They still have their boogies, and they still have their fun and their play, and they've got you know Babylon is still out there organizing and stuff like that. Um, but it just had a, a little bit different of a feel than what I was expecting with all the stories I heard about it from from the okay. past and from swoop competitions and boogies and stuff like that. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I mean, you know, I think those reputations kind of come and go, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we've we've seen drop zones get big and then kind of yep. fade off of the party spot and more into serious skydiving and sure it's more of a focused around tandem operations for sure okay yeah fair enough yeah i mean you've definitely got the up and down with the the party stuff on the drop zones for sure i think uh, i've heard from a few people now though uh cross keys is on the upswing again with that whole thing i guess they're getting quite busy 
lots of jumpers out there. I hear a bunch of you cross keys maniacs are uh, are trying to relive the old days. Go big, go really fucking big. <laughs> and they had a great aircraft. Magic of the pee pit. If you don't know it, there's there's a lot of but yeah, you could catch something in that pee pit to this day though. I bet. I'm pretty sure a lot of people got pregnant in that pee pit. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. They sure as hell tried. <laughs> so Spain, you 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 taught you worked with uh, the uh, uh, Kuwaiti military, and then you did some sightseeing as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, for any of you uh, Game of Thrones fans out there, we uh, the wife and I we made our way over to uh, Girona, Spain, which is where they um, they shot some of the scenes from Game of Thrones, which is kind of cool walking around the streets. It's one of the only. Uh, cities in Spain um, that kind of feels when you go there as if it's still back in those days. Like if nice. if you took the cars out of it and you took the power lines out of it, you wouldn't know the difference. That's cool. Um, castles and the streets were very old feeling, and it's just a really cool um, city to kind of tool around for the day. Nice, nice. Well, now other than uh, the work kind of stuff, did you have any other really cool jumping shit going on um, over there? Um, well, just in general, over in general, the summer. Yeah, I mean, um, I was uh, lucky enough to get uh, invited out to um, to Ukraine um, to go do a competition. But before that, I um, had a project come up to shoot a commercial for a car manufacturer where they wanted us to wanted me to land in the back of a moving truck. Cool, nice. Well, it's um, always, I mean, stuff like projects like that are always kind of fun. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, for sure. Anything well, that you get to do that you don't normally do in skydiving is always is always change a fun, it up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, where else did you go to jump, uh, or was that it? Um, it was just Spain and then uh, Imperial Bravo. Oh, not Imperial Bravo. Um, Ukraine. Okay. For the and competition. So you did the you did the comp. Yeah, knocked uh, knocked the dust off of the off the old swoop comp. Nice. And um, how was it? Four years without competition, so proper swoop competition. How'd you do? Um, two points out of third. So I took fourth place in the competition, took third in speed. Cool. Um, it was a good competition. Didn't really have a chance to train at all beforehand, but <laughs> hmm. Hmm. <laughs> that's never really my motto anyway. <laughs> it's show up and go. But, um, it was a really, uh, fun trip. Um, amazing competition. Um, the guy who, who brought us out there, his name is Andre. He's one of the Ukrainian, um, swoopers and just an all around rad guy. Um, it was kind of cool getting to see him in his element and kind of see nice. him in his own turf and nice. running a competition. And um, he was the one that was cool enough. We had a weather day. And he looks over. So um, would you guys uh, like to go to Chernobyl? Huh. We're like, uh, yeah, fuck yeah, we want to go to Chernobyl. <laughs> so nice. nice. Within an hour and a half of us giving him our passports, uh, pictures of our passport, right? he had a uh, transportation organized and we were on the road. To Chernobyl. Two, two cars worth of, of uh, degenerate jumpers heading to Chernobyl to, uh, you know, radiate ourselves a little bit. I saw the picture of uh, of you guys with the uh, the Ferris wheel in the background, the real famous Ferris wheel that's been just, uh, um, you know, falling apart for God knows how many years now. Uh, well, what is it, 40-something years now? I mean, it was 86 when, when they had the reactor. Yep. Reactor Four going. If anybody anybody that's listening hasn't watched the series, I haven't watched it personally, but I heard it's amazing. Oh, it's fucking epic. Although I hear it pissed off a lot of people. I don't know. There's don't... there's a lot of people that are disputing what what uh, was put out in the show. Yeah, I mean, they're all seeing, they're seeing all... it. It was one of those experiences in life that I was so like a giddy schoolboy running around. With my camera and oh, it's a photographer's fucking wet dream. I'm running here, I'm running there, and I'm all excited, and I've got a smile on my face. And then you go to take a picture, and you get hit with this feeling of, holy shit, like you're you're photographing something. Oh yeah, that destroyed lives. It's something. It's something that's oh, incredibly yeah. amazing on one side because you have the the ability and the and I was lucky enough to experience it and go there. And the other side of it, you're looking at, you're like the, it has this surreal and this eerie feeling when, when you talked about the, the Ferris wheel, we went to the amusement park area and mm. the Ferris wheel wasn't even my favorite thing. It was pretty cool to, to get a couple photos of it. But the thing that really set in was the bumper cars. Mm, yeah. I've seen pictures of that as well. The bumper cars are probably like reality kind of sits in and you, mm. you go around, you're walking around these buildings and you're seeing a boot, just a random boot by itself or a sewing machine that's sitting down on the ground or sure. a cash register that has decayed away to nothing and 
trees coming up through the ground and, and right. coming up through the middle of a hotel and all of a sudden there's like a tree in the middle of it. Mother Earth will take back oh, anything yeah. she gets her hands on. Oh yeah, well, we were talking earlier and it's like that uh, um, I Am Legend, the, uh, the uh, Will Smith movie where he's in New York deer hunting and that's yeah. totally what it would be like. Well, I think I said it would be more like spearfishing because New York's going to be underwater, not taken over by trees. But uh, No, I mean, you look at something like that or Dubai or L.A. or even oh. Chicago. You look at some of these major cities out there, you know, places in, in Spain and Italy. Look at Rome. What, what, what oh, would yeah. happen in Rome? It would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and it's, uh, um, it's kind of... Um, a definite possibility if we keep going the direction that we're going. I mean, uh, shit's getting a little weird out there. No, it's it's one of those things though. Like you see, I am legend, and then you see it in real life. Right. And it's like around right. forty years. Yep. You know, now all of a sudden, all these animals are coming back there, and you, you look at everything, and everything is rusted and and worn down. And then you see the work that that they're doing there, and you see the people that haven't left. Oh yeah. No. Well, I just watched. Uh, um, they had a special on about having to encase the entire reactor in a new big building and watch at the building of that and it being put in place and slid into place and all that. So I watched all of that. I got and, to see that. That was pretty yeah, cool. Really, really, really cool. But uh, um, yeah, watch the series. It's pretty fucking intense. Because I mean, I I was alive when it happened. I remember all of that stuff happening. Because it seems like. Uh, there was a series of very historic events uh, in my childhood that stand out. And that was Reagan getting shot, the shuttle blowing up, and Chernobyl um, all are in a very, you know, at least in my memory, in a very short period of time. And it's pretty cool. I mean, they were in a short period of time. They were all within a, a couple of years. I think so, yeah. I know that Chernobyl and, and the shuttle were the same year. They were both 86. Yep. Yep. And I remember exactly where I was with, with the shuttle. Oh, I was, yeah. I was in school watching it launch live in the in the cafeteria. They, they, yeah, they, they had us uh, in the classrooms. They rolled the TVs in to watch the whole thing, and yeah, watch the. Oops. For you millennials out there, that was before live streaming was a thing. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely before live streaming was a thing. No internet, nothing like that. No. Nope. You put on the news, and whatever happened happened. There was no delay. Yeah, Chernobyl, I think, definitely is a. Um, yeah, that's not a normal bucket list vacation spot. It's not, but man. Um, I got to meet an American that's working on um, on the site. So I actually had somebody that kind of spoke the language. And Nicole and I immediately went and, gra course. and grabbed the guy. We're like, hey, how you doing? You're American. Where are you from? What's this? What's that? Right. And I was like, and I asked him flat out. I'm like, listen. I'm like, um, he already knew what we did. He's, he knew that we were over there for a skydiving competition. I'm like, you know I jump out of airplanes. I'm like, and usually we get a lot of stupid questions from people at times. This is going to be one of those stupid questions. I'm like, but how dangerous is it with me being here? Mm. And he pretty much said that you get more radiation in one transatlantic flight than you do in a month working over there. Wow. And that people that work in running um, nuclear plants get more radiation than they get working in one that in this in this area. Oh, okay. All right. I thought you were going to say he was going to tell you your hair was going to fall out, but no, no, no. We, we, we did tell it to one of uh to one of our good one of our good friends and competitors, uh Abdubari was over there with us competing and uh for anybody that doesn't know Abdubari is from uh from Yemen and uh represents the UAE when he travels and uh, he was over there and we were joking around we're like we're like Wala Abdubari if uh you go here, you know, no more babies. He's like, I'm not going. Never mind. I don't want to go. <laughs> three quarters of the guys I know would be in line to hop on that bus. Yes, get me there. Yeah, yeah. I want to be there. We were, we were there. We weren't worried about it. <laughs> well, you also, didn't you, uh, um, you were trying to sneak your way into some fucking clubs and, and do stupid shit while you were over there as well, weren't you? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a, finding out a little bit more about Ukraine. Ukraine's actually a pretty cool spot, especially uh, Kiev. Um, sure. I've heard some of the other cities are pretty nice as well, but Kiev has... Uh, quite a history of it on its own and um it just cracks me up that uh you're you're trying to sneak into uh clubs in a in a country uh as an american into a an eastern bloc country trying to pull s some pretty stupid shit really <laughs> well i will tell you this as as a traveling skydiver and when we go to swoop competitions and we travel around um it's imperative that we have travel insurance right just sure. in case and and it's helped me on more than one occasion sure Actually, when you and I were in Bali, it it, it saved me because I had, you know, contents of my of my computer bag stolen out, yep. and I had to have it replaced, and and it saved me there. And um, trying to get insurance, travel insurance for the Ukraine, you had to label it as a war zone, and that's when it kind of kicked in where I was going, even though I was going with people that 
I'm friendly with people that I've been competing with for years. And even though I've, I've felt safe, it's really not that safe. The country's in, got some stuff going on. They got sure. some shit going on. Yeah. And you kind of saw it around, around Kiev with the police and the military presence and, <laughs> and stuff like that. You kind of start looking around and it's, it, it's a little surreal. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of places on the world out there that are, are, yeah, a little bit off the wall for, especially for, uh, your average American. Cause we're a little bit, or at least we used to be a little bit, uh, insulated. And uh, especially if you're a traveling American, you are a lot more aware that carrying a blue passport might not necessarily be the best thing in the world. <laughs> For sure. But Go yeah, on. we were definitely sneaking into places. We were trying to, to get into the underground um, bar scene that they have there. They've got some really cool um, speakeasies and mm. stuff like that. You know, proper speakeasies like what, you, what you've what you heard about from, from Prohibition. Even though alcohol is legal and everything is there, they still kind of keep up with it to this day. And, That's cool. You know, we... Uh, Nicole and I and one of uh, one of our um, good friends, uh, Sasha, was kind of he, he speaks the language. He's from he's from the area. He's from Kiev, and he was kind of sneaking around. Even he didn't know about some of these places. Awesome, you know. You go to a, a you know movie theater, and before you get in the movie theater, there's a door on the left. And the door doesn't have any label, and you walk inside, and you walk down this eerie hallway, and then all of a sudden you turn left at another open door. You walk down some stairs, and boom, there's a awesome. There's a bar there, and the mixologist who's mixing us drinks winds up being this you know uh this chick that is getting ready to go to the world competition for mixology out of all the people in ukraine she she won and she was going to the world competition which is only like 54 people and here she is she's down there mixing us drinks and as we start talking to her, we find out that she had lived with a foster family or not foster family but um what are the what are the exchange, exchange an yeah. exchange family yeah. in Houston, Texas, of all places, oh, for wow. for a year and like it, it's just kind of it's, it's kind of cool. It's a small world. Yeah, it's a very small world when it comes to stuff like that, for sure. Well, that's cool. That's very cool. I mean, uh, it sounds to me like that was probably the more interesting part of your your trip, I mean, which that, I, the Ukraine would not be on the top of my list. Ukraine was definitely not on my list before, but uh, I definitely want to go back. Um, the hospitality there was amazing. The language is in the major cities and at restaurants and stuff like that. They they speak quite a bit of English. Well, that's um, where we're spoiled, though. I we mean, are. We're... But I tell you what, as as Nicole used uh, Google Translate to to get through something with a with a woman, a transaction. She was trying to get some food or something like that, and she used right. Google Translate, and she just types in a Google Translate. Um, Please speak into the phone when I tell you to. And she pushes the button and she tells the woman to speak into it and the woman speaks into it and it translates it out right. into English and the woman responds over with, what is this voodoo? Awesome. <laughs> awesome. It's fucking the future. Here we go. <laughs> it's the present. <laughs> but for this woman who's who was a farm lady who never really knew a lot about technology and doesn't have an iPhone, she still uses a Nokia and Sure. For this, for her, sure. she was like, what is this? How is this machine doing this? <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, uh, you definitely packed a shitload into the summer. I know it's been busy everywhere. A lot of events going on all over the place. You didn't make it back to the States this summer then? Not yet. Um, we'll try to make it back in uh, February to see family and, and stuff like that. I wanted to make it back for U.S. Nationals, but that's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's, coming up this, it's coming up this weekend. And as much as I would love to be there and, and love to to – compete honestly for for the level of swooping that's going on there i'm just not on, sure i'm not on par I, I just did my first swoop comp in traditional swoop comp like i said in four years and sure even though i feel like the the dust has kind of knocked off a little bit i don't i don't think i'm uh yeah, quite enough. ready and it's kind of hard to get off time from work when you've been gone for the entire summer yeah yeah well and i mean they had a lot of cool events that were going on back there that everybody well i mean Summerfest looked like it was a great Summerfest this year and, and we talked to rook not too long ago and man he uh he definitely pulled it out again this time he's crashing a car into a bus that was stood on end for the for the yeah, fireworks display yeah yeah he said he was going to do something big for sure you heard about uh, the big change that he just announced I have. That's a pretty big fucking change, man. AAD is required for everybody, which is hats off. Much respect for that. Uh, yeah. I mean, the the, the little uh, blurb that he put out on Facebook was was short and sweet and concise and makes complete and total sense. And uh, I don't know how you can argue. You I can. Really... I mean, the 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 sport's been going in that direction for a long time. There's a lot of big drop zones out there that that have required that for the last little while, and mm. I know. Um, they cater to a lot of older school skydivers that don't really think it's necessary and everything else. But man, let's let's be honest. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, well, you're talking to a, a, a jumper that's never um, owned a rig without a Cypress in it. I did. One of my rigs, when I first bought it, didn't have a Cypress. My first rig didn't have a Cypress in it. Yeah, I think I did. I've done a total of, out of all my jumps, I think I've done a total of about 100 jumps without one, and that was just because I had to send it in to be worked on, and I still had to jump the rig, and I hated every jump because I was just mentally aware it's not there. Now, granted, everybody will say um, you should have it, but you're never going to use it. In a perfect world, you never will. Bullshit. I agree. Which is why I've had one in my rig always. Absolutely always. Yeah, your phone's sitting up high. you got to put it down low or it's going to keep doing that and I'm going to have to hurt you. Throw it on the floor. Yeah, there you go. Um, Sorry about that, folks. He's got no... Hey, it's not ringing. Usually, the, usually you yell at me because my phone's ringing and I'm texting or It's only the third time he's been on the podcast. But... Well, if you pick that up to text, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, I would never do that. <sighs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, this, the unless you're, and I kind of sounded like a little bit of a hypocrite, but it's only because of the technology. Unless you're doing a swoop competition where you're going out, you're hopping and popping on your own, there's no reason not to have it. No, I don't think there is. I mean, it's yes, it's financially prohibitive. Absolutely. Shit's expensive. But so's a fucking rig. So's your life. Yeah. You've only got one of them. There's nothing in this sport, as far as equipment goes, that's cheap. Nothing. So spend the fucking money, for Christ's sake. And that's, you know, that's probably the only thing that actually truly depreciates in value is an AAD. Yep. But it, think of it as an insurance policy. Yep. Spend and people pay a lot more money on insurance every Damn year, it. especially if you're living in the States. You're paying a lot more money for over, if you look at two or three months of insurance costs, is what it costs to buy, to buy a Cypress sure. or an AAD or yeah. a Vigil or whatever you, want, yeah. whatever you want to call it, and have it in your rig. And unfortunately, as much as I would like to say that you're never going to need it, I know a lot of really badass skydivers that have needed it. Oh, yeah. No, it saved, uh, it saved more than one or two lives. There's no doubt about that. And I, I don't think it can be argued that it's absolutely... A, a good fucking thing. So again, hats off to Rook. I think. Yeah, uh, man, good job. I think making that call was just a just a smart one. It's going to piss a few people off, but I think he knew that going into it, and and uh, they're going to either have to get on with it or find another drop zone. There, there are few and far in between, man. Yep, yep. Well, Safe, and there's, safety is and definitely getting better. On, in the let's sport. face it. There's the, Scott of Chicago is the only Scott of Chicago. That's it. You know, right. I mean, it's there's no place quite like that for the the size drop zone that it is for a large drop zone in the world. I don't know how you compete with Scott of Chicago. No, I mean, there's there are two other drop zones nearby that that they're good operations. Are good operations, and they're they have great ownership and they have well, um, busy and everything else, but. Man, it's it's still it's kind of Chicago, well, dude. When I, when, I, when I worked for Chicagoland, we did our jobs and then we partied at Scott of Chicago. You know, you went to the Fourth of July celebration at Scott of Chicago because that's where it was. Uh, if you were working in uh, um, Chicagoland and uh, Summerfest rolled around, you might do your work jumps uh, and then your days off. You were at Summerfest. Come on. We left the World Freefall Convention to go to Summerfest yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, I mean, it is <laughs> what it is. So it's, but yeah, I, I, I think it's a great move that he, uh, that he made the Cypresses uh, a mandatory. And I, yeah, everybody go out and buy a fucking Cypress. You should have it anyway, because shit does happen. Speaking of shit happening, you heard about Rob? Yeah. The fuck, man. The Roadrunner. This guy. For those of you that didn't know who Rob Stanley was, holy shit! I don't. I've never met another human being quite like this guy. You knew, you knew Rob a lot better than I did. I met Rob for the first time in around 2004, 2005. Okay. Um, at, uh, of all people, uh, Matty Wright uh, was, <laughs> uh, was doing some, uh, an invitational free fly event at uh, Chicagoland. Sure. Um, back when it was in Hinkley. Yep. Um, and Rob showed up, and I got to know Rob, and I saw him around from there on out, and then I got to, to work with him for a short period of time, and just a an amazing, amazing individual. And, and completely off the wall. And for for Rob to, to, to have a canopy collapse, I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and uh, I, t- I talked briefly to another very close friend of his uh, and didn't get into too much detail, but uh, um, for it to be, it was basically a bad call. They shouldn't have been jumping. And from what I was told, and he made that call, I believe that there was another camera flyer that stood down and said, no, you know, I'm, I'm done. These conditions are way too fucked up. And Stanley was like, nope, let's go. And that was it. He was always about making the skydive, though, as oh, well. Oh, like, it, it was this guy, fuck me. We would, uh, in our heyday at Cross Keys, we'd be doing, you know, between 20 and 25 tandems a piece a day. And if you were lucky, 
um, you would turn it back to back all day long. And if you were lucky, you'd have one load, maybe two throughout the entire day where you didn't turn back to back. And uh, everybody else, all us mere mortals, would stop and eat a fucking Snickers bar or drink a Red Bull or or just take a shit or a piss or something, you know, take a deep breath. Um, And this guy would land, run in, check the screen, drop his tandem rig, grab his sport rig, and race to the plane to go make a fun jump. He was a maniac, absolute maniac. Um, The whole uh, beep, beep, me, beep thing um that got started because uh he used to yell that as he was running to get to the airplane and he would go beep beep for people to get the fuck out of his way so he could get to the plane <laughs> and and rob was yep. in his 50s i mean and this guy had more energy than the average 20 something year old jumper it was insane but and this keeps coming up as well um it happened and of course i and everybody else that knew rob were shocked um and then my very first Reaction, of course, you find out that something has happened to a friend of yours, and and you start obviously trying to put them in context. So you start thinking about situations and stuff, and so right away I'm thinking, holy shit! You know, I mean, he was invincible. Rob Stanley had you know two cats' lives. I never thought this guy was going to die in aviation. No way, not not Stanley. Or if it did, if it was something aviation based, he was going to like burst into flames, jumping off the KL Tower or something like that. It was going to be, <laughs> you know, something insane. Um, so it kind of sunk in just a little bit, and then I started laughing because every fucking memory I had of Stanley was so funny, and so over the top. It made me laugh. I just had to giggle. I'm like, "You've got, oh my god! You remember this time? Remember that time when he said this? When he did that?" And you, so I mean, it's been a couple of months now, but uh, um, I, I still have yet to not look at, the, think about the situation, and just giggle just a little bit and there's not that many people that have passed in the sport where that's the case he was a really unique (laughs) unique character character is the best way to to do it i mean he was he was definitely uh one in a million that guy oh yeah young forever and my god but but again it it says it's very telling about the man that uh, um most people agree and i had written an article for him uh, in Blue Skies, and most of the quotes that I got from friends of his were all quotes telling funny stories because nobody had a sad thing to say about him other than the fact that he was gone. That was it. That's pretty amazing because, you know. That I mean, is pretty amazing. For every, you know, you know, knock on wood, when it when I'm finally done, there's going to be a few people going, fucking asshole, fine, I'm glad he's gone. <laughs> I don't know anybody that's saying that about Stanley. You know, I mean, everybody's just giggling. No. And, and properly so. And, I mean... That's the way to live a life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a bit of a bummer. That was on the 4th of July, um, which is a seminal day in the sport for a lot of Cross Keys people out there will remember the 4th of July. But we won't go into those. That's too, yeah. That's depressing stuff. Yeah. Meanwhile, I have the entire island of Crete in Greece thinks that uh, I'm gay and have a very young lover. <laughs> yeah, how was, uh, how was your summer this, this oh, year, Oh, that was kind of cool, man. I got to do the, the most epic ferry flight I've ever done, um, flying a twin otter... Um, through over to Greece and then from Greece past all of Italy up Croatia and then over the Alps into Switzerland. How uh, long was this flight? Oh, what would, I think flight time was like 21 hours. Yeah, 21 hours flight time. In, um, a, in an otter. In a twin otter, yeah. yeah. Did, did you have autopilot? No, God, no. You got to hand fly that thing. Hand fly that thing the whole damn way. No de-icing boots, so we had to avoid weather and all that. Granted, it was a it was pretty nice time of year, so uh, um, flying over the desert and we flew over the top of the pyramids. That was, I mean, right wow. over the top of the fucking pyramids. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, who, what jump pilot gets to do that over the top? Besides the people that drop skydivers over the pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, um, we flew over Mount Sinai, uh, and I actually had to Google. Nice. Um, because I didn't know if Mount Sinai was um, where the Ark was or where the um, the Ten Commandments were handed down to Noah. It turns out it was the latter. So we're flying right over it. I'm like, whoa, well, there you go. Okay, there's that. And and uh, then we're, we're flying over Egypt, and we're trying to figure out exactly where the pyramids are going to be. And it dawns on us we're going to miss them by about 20 miles, so we're probably not going to see it. And just about the time we're starting to commiserate that, fuck, we're going we're gonna to be so close and miss the pyramids, uh, the controller hops on and gives us a 20-degree correction to the left for no particular reason and ends up taking us right over the top of Giza. Oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, it was epic. What altitude were you flying on this, uh, on this thing um, on the way? Uh, when we crossed the pyramids, only ten grand. So beautiful view. I mean, I've got iPhone pictures from it. 
It's fantastic. So over the top of the pyramids, we flew right over the Nile. We flew over um, Alexandria, which is where Cleopatra's from. That's yeah. where, like, Mark Antony was over there banging Cleopatra and, and where Caesar went and all that stuff. And then over the entire Mediterranean. But the funny thing was we had stopped for fuel, uh, myself and my co-pilot, who I'm not going to name. Um, and uh, You know who you are. Yeah. And uh, – um, he, we, we had a, a, a fuel bladder for, um, the extended ferry and it's basically just a huge rubber bladder in the, in the middle of the twin otter, uh, and you fuel it up in the back. So you got to get in the back of the airplane and hold this big nozzle up so that the fuelers can fuel it up. And while that was happening, my co-pilot got splashed. My first officer got splashed all over with jet fuel. Oh, that had to be amazing, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was soaked and he went to, he was going to change like right there on the ramp because just a jumper. And we were not in a spot where you can just disrobe out in the middle of nowhere. So I'm like, whoa, once we're flying again, you can get changed, shove all that shit in a plastic bag and everything. So we take off and we're having to fly like proper actual procedures. So I'm flying a departure procedure and I'm pretty busy because it's been a long time since I've flown anything like that. The entire thing's an instrument flight plan. So it's, it's relatively involved. And you and, have to be uh, relatively precise as well. Yeah, yeah, you got to be on your game. So I'm really paying attention, but we're about, I don't know, five minutes off, wheels up, and, and I'm in a normal climb now. So I'm like, well, go ahead and change. Get that shit off of you. I'm starting to get a headache from the jet fuel. So he gets changed and everything, and he ties it all off in a plastic bag. And, and uh, um, about 10 minutes later, the workload drops down because now we're at altitude. We're on the airway that we need to be going, and we're heading where we need to go. And, and uh, I finally glance over at him, and I look over, and... He's in his fucking underwear. <laughs> with his, he's got his seatbelt on, and he's in his underwear. <laughs> That's amazing. As we're flying along, and I'm like, dude, what? Put your fucking pants on. He's like, but it's it's comfortable this way. He flew over the entire country of Egypt, and three quarters of the Mediterranean to Greece. Was it that hot in the airplane? No, we ended up. I think at that bit we were up at uh, fourteen thousand feet, so it was it was a little bit brisk at that point. But yeah, I, I basically just outside. Was, was of, he hypoxic? No, no, we, we both had oxygen. He just was comfortable. So yeah, he stayed in <laughs> stayed in his fucking chonies um, in uh, until we were coming up on Crete. So we shoot the approach into Crete, and uh, anyway, something happened before that, didn't it? Um, no, no, no. After, after, the, after, after Crete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we we spent a, a day and a full day in Crete, and uh, um, we're sitting at this. Uh, restaurant bar in this really busy area in Crete and, and the uh, English pronunciation of the town is Hercules. And uh, it's a beautiful sidewalk cafe and people are everywhere. It's just fantastic weather's going on. We're still both kind of buzzed because we're in the middle of this amazing, you know, cross-country trip. And, and uh, uh, the only thing we could think to drink because it was so hot was something nice and light and fruity. So we've got two glasses of uh, sparkling wine. Not only is it sparkling wine, but this particular type of sparkling wine, this restaurant serves with a cherry in the bottom of the glass. Now, mind you, I've just turned 50. He's 27, I think. Um, for some reason, he had decided at some point during the day to go buy a shirt that looked a lot like the one I was wearing. So we're both wearing um, linen button-down shirts. And uh, um, we have this selfie of us cheersing with uh, sparkling wine with a cherry in the bottom of it. And he shows me the picture afterwards. And I'm like, oh, my God. There is not a single person on this street that doesn't think I'm fucking you. <laughs> At least you put yourself as a pitcher, not oh, the catcher. Oh, dude. Well, no, no, no. There was, it, it was clearly because I've let the beard grow out, which has turned out to be almost Christmas white. Um, I was going to say you look a lot like Santa Claus. Right yeah, there. it's getting there. Well, that's what the, the girlfriend is hoping I'm going to look like Santa Claus for Christmas. Oh, she has a fetish, huh? Yeah, I guess. Because this is her idea. I mean, you know how it is. If the girlfriend says you can grow a beard, you grow a beard. And I don't think it looks particularly good on me, but it's fun to play with. Um, and she's actually admitted she she likes it, but she also thinks it makes me look less attractive, which she likes. <laughs> I'm like, all right. But so the, you have you the- You look too hot. Grow a beard yeah, and look like Santa Claus for me. Grow a beard and look like Santa Claus, yeah. So uh, you've got this this clearly older gentleman with the, the white beard, shaggy beard, with a clearly younger guy, both in matching button-down white linen shirts, toasting with bubbling, you know, Oh, yeah, everybody champagne. thought you were giving of it to him. Of course. Of course they did. <laughs> anyway, so we, we had a good time running around uh, uh, Crete and then uh, uh, departed to Crete to get to Switzerland. And uh, I forget, I, we were over the proper island, maybe, I don't know, about 40 miles away from Athens. Um, and we were over this inland 
um, sea, I guess, um, that's in the middle of this island. Beautiful scenery everywhere. As you can imagine, we've been taking pictures all over the place. And and uh, for those of you that have never flown an otter or haven't seen the cockpit, the windows roll down. Uh, it's not a pressurized cockpit. And for any of you that don't know Dean's uh, Instagram or Facebook, he is constantly taking photos outside of the plane from yeah, the window. absolutely. I don't really take pictures of myself. I take pictures of the scenery. I mean, my phone is filled with thousands of pictures over the drop zone of sunsets and sunrises and all that. Anyway, um, and anybody that's flown in an otter knows that the windows of every damn otter on the planet are just scratched up and scrubby, and you can't get a good picture, so you just roll the window down. And I've been doing this for, I don't know, 8,000 hours in a twin otter. And uh, this one particular time, I'm taking pictures and taking pictures, and I'm listening to my music is plugged into the phone. And and uh, I turn to my co-captain, and I, oh, again, this is amazing down here. And as I turn back to take a picture, we both just hear this, funk. <laughs> and everything slowed down. Did, my, you, did you still hear the music? No, my music stopped, which was the first indication that something bad had happened. <laughs> so I didn't have any music. Um, and I turn and look at him and he's looking at me and we both of us have got fucking saucer eyeballs just as wide as can possibly be. We both start instantly dying laughing. And my first thought was, fuck, turn around. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a market on, uh, on his, uh, on his phone so you guys can come back later and try to find it? Yeah. Well, I actually made a, a, a fake, but funny find my iPhone, uh, icon. Cause I knew exactly where we were. Um, but it went in the water, so it's it's long gone. So yeah, I mean they it, say that they say those iPhones are waterproof. Waterproof, yeah. Well, anybody that happens to be scuba diving in an inland lake, there's an iPhone X out there that, uh, yeah, that's still got a lot of memory left on it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty sad. So he had to take all the pictures the rest of the way to Switzerland. What, what was funny is I, I, you know, you'd made a comment to me because this this same pilot had some a uh, little bit of issue before you guys were departing initially. <sighs> mm. And uh, you gave me a call. You're like, hey, man, just in case anything happens, these are the important numbers. These are important phone numbers. These are important passwords. <laughs> just in case. Yeah. Well, that was. And, I, and my, 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 what I said to you was very, was very important as well. I'm like, all right. I'm like, just let me know when you're taking off. Let me know when you're landing. Yep. I was like, that's it. And uh, let me know when you took off and landed the first time. You let me know when you, when you landed into. In <laughs> Greece. Into, yep. Into Greece. And then I didn't hear from you yeah. for a while, so I was a little worried. I hadn't seen any Facebook posts, anything like that. And yeah, uh, yep. luckily, uh, at the same time, I happened to to run into uh, one of the other pilots that you work with, and he's like, "Yeah, you hear what happened to Dean?" <laughs> I'm like, "Oops, no, what happened to Dean?" He's like, he tells me tells me the 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 yeah phone you know, out the the, the the quick. The quick, quick version and uh, out the door. Like, well, that would make sense why I haven't heard from him in a yeah. couple of days. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit. That that was not my finest moment, but all's well. We ended up, uh, we made it to to Switzerland just fine. And then it was funny because we, uh, um, where we were in Saint Gallen, Switzerland, is right near the border of Austria and Germany. Um, so we had one day to kill, um, and we had to get a car to be able to drive back into uh, the airport. Uh, so we took uh, half a day. Uh, before we headed to the airport to take our flight back home and uh, drove in through Austria and Germany just to say that we'd hit those both those countries. Uh, nice. But there was a drop zone where um, uh, Rob Jones, a jumper that we both know quite well, uh, was uh, yeah. at a boogie. Um, and uh, so we decided, well, shit, we're going to be really close to there. Wouldn't it be funny if we, we swung in? And we swing in, and, and uh, Rob Jones is there. Pablo Hernandez is there. I mean, like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> in this random little beautiful drop zone in the middle of these mountains tucked in in Austria. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, nice. So. I bet they were a little surprised to see you guys. Yeah, yeah. I wish we had known. I would have tried to get permission to take the otter there and fly a load. That would have been cool. <laughs> that would have been awesome. That would have been cool. But uh, anyway, yeah, so we had the opportunity to, to to see them and stuff before we flew back. But that's been it. I've been working otherwise. You're the one that's been traveling the world and everything. Well, yeah, but that's because you, you have a big trip coming up soon. Yeah, I go to Nepal soon. Yeah, you probably heard the I did the the podcast with Tom Noonan and was grilling him all about Everest because I go to do uh, the Everest Base Camp hike and then potentially Annapurna uh, in November. I'm jealous. I wish I could be there for that Cannot one. Cannot wait. K 
cannot wait. And I actually started talking to a company outside of Washington um, because I've been trying to do as much research as I can. And there was a, a show on uh, Amazon Prime uh, all about Everest. And it's this, uh, what is it called? Everest... Uh, uh, beyond the limit. Anyway, uh, the first two seasons were kind of a little over overly dramatic, but really cool. But it's all um, reality TV of people actually climbing Everest. But on the third season, it was kind of split up a little bit. And one of the companies that was doing it is a company based out of Washington. And I really got interested in listening to that. And I had sent an email, just a quick question about stuff going on. And the guy kind of started pitching me and was like, well, you know, what's your experience and, you know, what are you thinking? And I told him what I did for a living and all this. And he's, oh, my goodness, this sounds like it'd be right up your alley. You should really start training to climb it. And I'm like, climb what? He's like, climb Everest. Uh, what? No, you totally should. And he sort of really started giving me the hard sell. And he's like, you know, you can come to Washington and you'd climb Rainier. You'd get your uh, um, your glacier training there and you'd start to get some of your high altitude stuff. And, and then we sell a package where you climb up um, partially up the way of Everest. Again, more high altitude training. And he kind of hinted that like within two years, I'd be able to take a shot at the summit. And so now my biggest goal for this Everest base camp hike is to get there and be so exhausted and so terrified that the idea of climbing that thing is just appalling. Please don't die on Everest. Exactly. I want to get there and go, fuck no. I want to look up at that mountain and go, there's not a goddamn chance in hell. But you've talked to Tom. You know it's not it's not that bad getting Shut up. Getting to base it's, camp. Yes, it's going to kick my ass. It's going to take everything I get to get to base camp because I don't have $45,000 in two months to spend climbing that mountain. And being Listen, the, anybody that knows you knows you're probably the most fit 50-year-old I've ever met. That being said, dude, you're going to get laid. You don't have to – it's fine. You don't have to hit, hit no, on me. No, but, man, <laughs> you're, you're – if if I'm in, in in the kind of shape that you're in when I get to to your age, I'll be I'll be stoked. You're supposed to try and talk me out of any potential desire to climb that mountain. I think it's I oh, think the don't, odds now don't are don't do it. It's it's dangerous. You the, might die. The odds now are one in eleven. Die. For every eleven people that summit, one dies. I want to I want to get to base camp and go fuck that. That's what I'm shooting for. Well, let's see what happens. Yeah. it's only a couple months away, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, potentially the last week of October, so it's not that far off at all. So we'll see. I'll just keep training for it. Up and down the stairs. <laughs> Machine. Climbing and climbing and climbing. Well, so what's next for you? What comes, uh, uh, you're kind of back to work, but any big projects? Any any shit coming up? Um, no, nothing right now. I'm, I'm back to work. Um, I've been invited to come over to um, the World Cup for Canopy Piloting and shoot some outside video, being that I'm not going to be able to make it back to the U.S. to to compete mm. um even though uh i am a free free agent right now uh any countries out there looking to pick up a good looking swooper in his early 40s <laughs> um no i haven't competed for for any country for more than two years so right now i'm i've got nothing but i nice. think i'm uh i think i'm ready to start competing for the states again at some point nice if i start competing again i mean i enjoy swoop competitions but sure I'm not going to train like Cedric and Cornelia and Kurt and some of these guys. It's, I just don't, I never have had that ambition to train that hard and sure. I continue. I do it cause I like it. I have fun with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what kind of, um, what kind of projects or, or stuff come along. If anything comes along, I'll go for it. Cool. Um, if not, it's just going to be a little bit of working right now. Um, waiting for, uh, the season and to really kick off, kick back off again. But, uh, maybe, um, like I said, uh, the uh, World Cup in South Africa. Mm. Uh, Billy Sharman invited me over. He's he's been on your podcast before. Yes, he has. Former teammate. Um, Billy and Andrew are awesome. Uh, but Billy invited me over to shoot air to air video for the for the competition. Cool. He said he'd you know if I wanted to come out there you know he'd, he'd put me to work and give me a place to stay while I was doing it. So I occasionally daydream about uh, when the bottom falls out in my entire life and I need somewhere to go run away to and hide. Uh, just being an old man flying his pack and living in a little tent on the drop zone one of his luxury tents yeah in pretoria south africa yep you could definitely find yep. worse places to be oh absolutely now uh, uh any other big events over the summer that you heard of i i've kind of been out of the loop i mean yeah. i don't know what, I mean, what there's are the... some there's some big events i mean and unfortunately it's not the the happiest of events but uh we've uh heard about the king air crash oh yeah that was extremely unfortunate uh, um I, larry the master and and uh, i'm not obviously gonna not name all the names but uh i had met him a couple of times and and uh i 
wow. I mean, talk about a devastating event. Uh, any more on, on the causes, or is it all still just kind of speculation? I mean, for the most part, speculation. I know that, the, unfortunately, the um, the debris field was only something oh, was ridiculous. Like 50 feet. Like 50, 50 meters is what I heard, Yeah. Um, which means that it, w- it wasn't pretty, and um, there's there's mixed things. I mean, I've, I've talked to some people out in, in, out in Hawaii that are friends of mine that, of course, you, you hear about an, an incident like that, and right away you start calling or sending messages to all your friends and, you know, people that you're close with were you on it okay you're still alive okay good. sure next one okay you're still alive okay, sure good. and do stuff like that and you know a couple of them were quite verbal with um talking about uh maintenance and and hot shotting from the from the pilot that was flying it and stuff like that but yeah. I, don't, I don't think we really have any any defined definitive uh answers yeah i mean i'd heard a couple of rumors here and there obviously i won't repeat those rumors but uh, a good friend of both of ours derek massey who actually his podcast just aired uh went to hawaii right after uh the crash and heard quite a few different things and again i won't i won't uh, speculate until ntsb comes out with their report yeah and that's the best way to do it i mean it, it's a it's a huge hit for the for the industry for the sport of skydiving it's um unfortunately it seems to be the new the new killer is seems to be you know aircraft stuff like that. yeah aircraft well, stuff which is which is weird it went it's gone from people hooking themselves into the ground to to aircraft which is i think that we're going to see some some major changes coming along soon oh yeah well i i think i was just talking recently to somebody about that as well i mean uh, i just saw in the news that the government I, I think the governor of hawaii just instituted all kinds of stuff in regard to general or not general aviation but commercial aviation in regard to tours and skydiving there and if that trend continues skydiving in the states is going to really get expensive um, if if it starts getting to the point where they're pushing um, to have the uh, aviation side of things regulated, kind of like a 135 charter service, um, there's going to be a lot of little operations that aren't going to be able to afford the maintenance um, and aren't right. going to be able to afford the scheduled maintenance that they're going to have to do. And I, I think we're going to see some drastic um, changes, not in particularly good ways, um, to small operations that are doing amazing jobs, but now they're going to have to meet unrealistic goals, which is, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen. And, you know, not to talk about this too long, but, uh, I know yours and my, you know, hearts go out to the families and the, and the friends of everybody that was lost. It, it's a terrible tragedy in the sport. And, um, I just hope that some of the other operations learn from it Oh yeah, and that we get something from from the NTSB that that we can truly learn from, so that something like this doesn't happen again. Well, and skydiving has been a, a pretty spectacular over the years of doing a pretty good job of policing themselves, um, with a, only a few operations here and there that you know don't do what they should do. Um, so I think that something like this, if they can get some concrete evidence as to exactly what happened, I think you'll see changes um, in a positive way um, in the way some operations are handling things. Uh, and again, um, until we have anything definite, and we might not have anything definite, uh, it's best to just kind of keep your eye on everything, yeah. absolutely everything, uh, whether it be maintenance, uh, whether it be the um, the pilots, whether it be the jumpers, everything needs to, I mean, we got to keep it high and tight. I mean, and that's one of those things that it's not just a safety day issue. It's a, it's an, it's, it's an every, everyday, it's an every day, everyday issue. And, and, you know, for the newer jumpers out there that are listening Get with your riggers. Get with your instructors. Don't just wait for a safety day or wait for a reserve repack to. Speaking of, to I need you stuff. to. I need you to repack my reserve. I can definitely do that for okay, you. Cool. Yeah, I, I I need that. But it's just one of those things. Like, um, I I see that uh, a lot of places there is some really good knowledge, and then a lot of places it the knowledge is starting to lack with some of the newer jumpers, and they just need to you know get out there. And it's one of the things that I've been trying to do the best I can is to to relay the information and to to do a little bit more teaching, a little bit more giving back. Um, that's that's my goal for this for the season is to to give back to the newer jumpers a little bit more and try to bestow some of my some of your years of wisdom some of my years of wisdom and and uh, some of the the nine lives that I've used along yeah. the way or two. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, people should definitely in this sport learn from other people's mistakes. Uh, this is probably the only part of my life where I've done my best to do that because in every other part I need to fuck it up in order to figure out what's going on. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to skydiving and, and aviation, there's a lot of people that have fucked things up well before us, and we should uh, definitely learn from their example for sure. Wow. Yeah. Well, cool. I mean, for the most part, it's been a pretty uh, pretty awesome summer. 
Nice, nice. Well, yeah, and it's not quite over. I mean, there's still going to be a lot of drop zones that are going to be cranking things out out there. And of course, it's a big, it's a big world out there. A lot of the operations that as the states slow down, they're ramping up. Uh, so there'll be a lot of safety days happening for the the people that are getting ready to get back at it. So for all of them, enjoy it. And, the opposite and, sides of the world, the Australias and the Zealands. Yeah, absolutely. And the, you know, the it's time to, in the UAE and, time and to go big, man. I mean, it, it was this time of year that I was heading over to Paihia to jump over the beach in New Zealand some pretty epic times over there i know they're getting ready to ramp up new zealand's getting busy uh, uh australia's going to be right back at it derek heading back to you know the west coast of australia yeah, a couple, out, a couple of big uh, swoop competitions still coming up a yeah, lot man. of them have been passed and done with for the summer but there's still a few left u.s nationals is coming up and uh the world meet so yeah man so still a lot of stuff to come the summer is not over but uh, um uh yeah i think that's kind of our, our little recap for right now anyway yeah. of your world traveling ass Hey, man, do it if you can do it, right? Absolutely. I'm only on this planet one time. I might as well see as much of it as I can. Yep, yep. I don't know what uh, anybody's saving the money for. Get out and enjoy it. Yep. All right, Junior, another good chat. Thanks, buddy. Good talking to you. Good being here. Okay, we'll do it again. Uh, I'm going to have to drag you back in here to help me uh, give shit to a couple of the guests coming up that I know you know. So uh, Absolutely. Uh, I have no problem giving shit to people. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, we got some seriously cool guests coming up. Um, I had the opportunity to have an absolutely awesome interview with Mr. Bill Booth. But unfortunately, the connection and the audio was so poor that I am not going to force that on you. I want you guys to be able to hear everything this guy's got to say. Holy shit, I was dying. He's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, he's um, a pretty cool guy. Yes, he got is. Got a lot of good stories, I'm yes, sure. Yes, he is. We've got uh, um, uh, Katie Hansen has agreed to be on the podcast as well. She is just about as badass as they come. Mr. Bartholomew is going to be joining as well. Ah, uh, Mr. Kurt. He's got a story or two he's going to be able to share. So we've got a lot of people coming up. Uh, Junior here will be getting back with me again. We're going to have to get some people back in here and get shitty drunk again. I've gotten a lot of great feedback on that one, and I didn't have a wife to piss off. So it's been nothing but good for me. Yeah, it, it hasn't been the greatest for me. Um, yeah, you know, but that's but not that's my what concern. Ha- but that's what happens when you get drunk. You, yeah, you say things in the inopportune moments and, it's, and have things come out not exactly the way they're supposed to. And I absolutely <laughs> encourage that kind of behavior as much as possible. I think it's fantastic. But no, she took it She took it with a good grain of salt. Uh, she's an amazing woman and she loves me and I love her back. And uh, she, she, she puts up with all my shit. So uh, well, and, and I'll keep her around for a while. Moss, Moss even survived it as well, so... And yeah. he ended up, for those that don't know, poor Moss ended up passed out drunk in my place uh, both times he was on the podcast. So we'll see if we can't get him in for round three. Maybe he'll survive the whole thing. Moss's Moss's uh, beautiful lady came up to me and punched me in the arm and told me I was bullying him too much during awesome. the podcast. Awesome. Well, we all kind of were. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Bobo! <laughs> Bobo! <laughs> I, oh, well, I got to reach out to Ian Bobo. Yeah, I gotta reach out to Bobo because Bobo, if you haven't heard that podcast, you gotta listen to it, dude. You broke somebody's heart. Like he's still <laughs> heartbroken over that. So I'm just saying, you know, uh, this is this is an invitation to Mr. Bobo, and maybe we can sit down and, and chat a little bit and find out what your side of the story is. Maybe Moss was being a little too forward. Yeah, you never, you know. never know. You never know. You never know. Yeah, I mean, it get, maybe it got lost in translation, and Bobo thought he was after more than just a drink. Hey. You can ask uh, Kurt Bartholomew about that story as well. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Guys, once again, thank you so much for uh, joining us. It's been me and Junior back in the can, Lunatic Fringe, another episode Thanks, in the buddy. can. See ya. All right. Once again, that was another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with me, the fucking pilot. Uh, brought to you by, of course, the greatest magazine in the known universe, Blue Skies Magazine. You're going to head to blueskiesmag.com to subscribe to the magazine if you're not smart enough to have already done so. Get it done. If you're a photographer, take lots of cool pictures and send it to the magazine because although Instagram is kind of cool, kind of, there's nothing like seeing your photo in print on the magazine, maybe the centerfold, maybe the fucking cover if it's good enough. Get your pictures out there. If you've got a cool story to tell, put pen to paper. If I can write for the magazine for 10 fucking years, so can you. So tell that story. Got something cool to advertise, something cool to sell, something every jumper has just got to have? 
send it to Blue Skies Magazine. They'll get you sorted out. We're also brought to you by Craft Imaging. Craftimaging.eu. Craft Imaging does some really, really cool stuff. They can take anything like a skydiving photograph, a logo, your team name, anything like that, and etch it on anything from a, a plaque to glasses to um, literally anything. It's really, really cool. Check out their website. They've got a lot of neat stuff. Craftimaging.eu. For me, I am the fucking pilot. You can find me at thefuckingpilot.net. At the fucking pilot.net, you've got the option to buy both my books. One is the Blue Skies Mag book, the fucking pilot book. That's the previously published issues or uh, um, articles that I wrote for Blue Skies Magazine. The other one, of course, is The Accidental Stripper. Both of those books are available in digital and print form. And if I can ever finish it, it's going to be audiobook as well for The Accidental Stripper. So head onto the website there. You can also check out the profiles and all the cool photos from all of my guests that are uh, lining that website, making me look much cooler than I am. Again, thank you for joining me for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. We will see you next time around.